Katrina Wells, did you bring enough for everybody? <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you on this beautiful Lord's Day. Thank you for being with us here in the parking lot. Or if you're joining us via live stream, we sure do appreciate it. Let's all stand together. Let's make a joyful sound. Sing out so the people at Hardy's can hear you this morning. Let's sing together. Testing one, two, there we go. Let's sing Amazing Grace this morning. Sing Amazing Grace. Just wanted y'all to get up and stretch a little bit. We'll do all four verses. Amazing Grace. think it feels great out here raise your hand all right hands down how many of you think it's too cold put your hand up y'all don't want to be embarrassed because I was fixing to embarrass you amen thank you for coming out this morning I appreciate it it's great to see you I got several announcements and prayer requests and I'm going to go through the prayer requests first please pray for brother Bobby Upchurch's family we put out on our call system about the home going of his brother, after a long battle with uh, pancreatic cancer, uh, their services will be today. Lift them up, if you would, please. Pray for Brother John and his upcoming procedures. Uh, Sister Chelsea, I'm going to talk to you more about that in a few minutes. Pray for Sister Ashley Sampson, of course. That's the daughter of uh, one of our missionaries. She is at home, but has multiple blood clots in her legs and lungs. So please lift up Ashley 
Sampson, if you would. If you uh, saw on social media, those of you who may follow, another one of our missionaries, Brother Greg Lentz's wife, Jill, uh, has been diagnosed with breast cancer. So please lift up Jill Lentz in prayer, if you would. Uh, Pastor Wayne Kennan, we've been talking to you about him for a couple of weeks now. Please continue to pray for him. He is home from the hospital and will have three rounds of radiation treatment and then surgery to remove the tumor in his brain on October the 16th. Please lift him up in prayer and the good folks at Peaceful Baptist Church. And I know you have been, but let's pray for our president and leaders of our country and our commonwealth uh, who've been diagnosed with COVID, uh, that God will touch them and heal them. And we've got lots to pray about. If you've got a special request this morning that you want to just slip your hand up, do that now. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you this morning saying thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. We count it an honor and a privilege uh, to be here. We are thankful, Lord, uh, for the chance to just come worship you here in our parking lot or on live stream. Lord, thank you, Father, that we can just say that God is good all the time, in time, on time, every time. God, I'm praying your blessings now upon all of these requests. Lord, we know that you've heard each one, and none of them have taken you by surprise. So, God, I ask that you would speak peace to each heart that's here today. And, Lord, that you would lift up the precious name of Jesus as we brag on him this morning. I pray that you would draw men and women, boys and girls, unto you. Lord, that we would walk out of here singing like David of old. It's been good to be in God's house. Bless the singing, the preaching. May it all uplift the precious name of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen, amen. You can be seated this morning. I'm going to pick on you just a minute, Evan. I love Brother Evan. I appreciate his voice. I appreciate his talent for the Lord. How many of you have ever seen the movie Men in Black? Raise your hands. When Evan was walking up with these sunglasses, I thought, this is Man in Black right here. He looks sharp this morning. Sing, buddy. Joy for your deep. 
Amen. Wonderful job. Amen. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Evan. All right. Several announcements for you this morning. Just a reminder that we're continuing with our Operation Christmas Child. Thank you for those who have already brought in your boxes uh, or have donated online. You can do that either way, and we appreciate your help in that. That continues through November, so please help us out with that if you would. This coming Friday, a reminder that we're having our activity here at the church, dinner and a faith-based movie. Uh, it begins at 6.30 p.m. It's open to anyone. Uh, we're going to do some hot dogs, something that we can be very safe with, so please help us uh, think about that if you would. Uh, bring your lounge chair and come enjoy it if you would at 6.30 this coming Friday. Uh, next Sunday morning, uh, uh, the Wisnets will be with us during our services. They'll be up here on the platform. Uh, so invite your friends and family. We'll have a good time worshiping the Lord with the Wisnets next Sunday morning. Uh, so please keep that in mind. We're always excited to welcome them, some of our favorite uh, singers uh, in America. And we're excited they'll be with us on Sunday morning. Then on October the 17th, I put this out on our call system. Brother David Terry is uh, hosting a firearm safety class at the home of Gene and Lester Rohr. Uh, I got so tickled. Uh, if you go on social media, if you follow Brother David, uh, you'll say he put that out there. Uh, and then he says, if you want to come, shoot him a message. I thought that's pretty good. Amen. Uh, this is not a, uh, uh, a certification class, but it's rather a safety class. Uh, if you're planning on attending, let him know. It begins at 2 o'clock uh, on Saturday, October the 17th. So please keep that in mind. And then I want to give you uh, something to think about for next Sunday. This is something I'm going to ask everybody to help me out with. And I haven't shared this with you or, uh, or uh, Susan, so I'm going to uh, let you all know to help us with this. Uh, um, Chelsea is continuing uh, going back and forth to the doctor for multiple reasons, uh, regular treatments, regular dialysis. Uh, as you understand, she's experiencing rapid kidney failure uh, and praying diligently uh, that she will uh, find a donor. You'll recall that Chelsea lost a kidney uh, early in her life and, the, and had a transplant, and now that one's failing. So uh, we're going to ask God to continue to get that donor ready for her. But in the meantime, she's traveling quite a bit back and forth to Duke, uh, Roxborough for treatments. And so what I'd like to do uh, is uh, this week uh, uh, collect some uh, gift cards for restaurants. We were, Brother Eddie Gunner was chatting with me about this. He's talked to the family about it. Uh, uh, for a couple of places that Chelsea can eat at Chick-fil-A, KFC, Olive Garden, uh, a couple other places include El Parral. Uh, and your mottos. And what we're going to ask you to do is bring in $10 or less uh, because this is just for Chelsea. And this is coming, uh, uh, this is a way that she can have, there's some food at each of these places that she can eat that keeps her from getting sick uh, during the treatments. So if you can help us out with that, we're going to just put it in a gift basket next Sunday. Again, $10 at any of those Chick-fil-A. You know she loves the Lord if she eats at Chick-fil-A. Somebody say amen right there. Uh, KFC, El Peral, your mottos are Olive Garden, and we're going to get that to her uh, next week. So if you can bring that in by Sunday, we'll have a little basket set up here uh, that you can drop those in. Again, $10, I think all of us can afford that, and we're going to help her out as she's going back and forth for her treatments. And then uh, also, I had a message here, and I've lost it. Brother Ken, come on and sing for us this morning. Get us a congregation, and I'll, I'll find the message. Let's come on this morning. This song was requested to me just yesterday, The Windows of Heaven. We'll sing it a couple times through this morning. Let's all stand together. The Windows of Heaven. We'll sing this a couple times through today.
blessings are falling tonight. There's joy, joy, joy in my heart since Jesus made everything right. I gave him my old tattered garment. He gave me a robe of pure white. I'm feasting on manna from heaven, and that's why I'm Come on, Evan. Thank you. You can be seated. On October the 24th, uh, Sister Mary Margaret is hosting a, uh, a party for a painting of signs. And any of the young ladies, she's invited from our church. So if you're interested in that, that's on Saturday, October 24th at 2 o'clock. Grab your Bibles this morning. Turn to the book of Job, if you would, please. The book of Job. And I want you to listen to Evan this morning as he sings. Turn your Bibles to the book of Job, chapter number 3. Evan, you sing for us, buddy. sleep is gone, my heart is full of sorrow. I can't believe how much I've let you down. I dread the pain that waits for me tomorrow. When the sun reveals my broken dreams scattered on the ground please forgive me i need your grace to make it through lord all i have is you i'm at your mercy Lord, I will serve you until my dying day and help others find the way at your mercy. Please forgive me. I can't believe the God of earth and glory would take the time to care for one like me. But I read in my Bible that old story, how he pled for my forgiveness while he was dying on a tree. Please forgive me. I need your grace to make it through. Lord, all I have is you. I'm at your mercy. Lord, I will serve you until my dying Forgive me. I need your grace to make it through. And all I have is you. I'm at your mercy. Lord, I will serve you until my time. Forgive me. Wonderful. Man, that's good this morning. Thank you so much, Evan. Love that singing. Awesome job, young man. Book of Job, please, this morning. Chapter number three, if you would. The book of Job, chapter number three. 
I'm going to read just a few verses that are found there in chapter 3, but I want to invite you to keep your Bibles open through the course of the message this morning. Uh, we're going to look at several verses found in the book of Job. I'll share something with you just to put a little smile on your face. Uh, yesterday, uh, we were with Renee's family for a birthday party uh, of uh, our great-nephew who turned uh, one yesterday. And uh, the men in Renee's family are good old boys and rednecks, and so whenever they're together, it's not long until guns and arrows and four-wheelers come out. Can I get a witness? Amen. So uh, yesterday, they had a bunch of four-wheelers out, and uh, uh, after riding around a while, I stood there watching them. Nick had been on it. Several of the young men had been on it, the young ladies too, and uh, uh, my, my brother-in-law said, uh, Dr. Greg, won't you climb up on this thing? So how many of you understand that a four-wheeler brings out the inner redneck of every man? Amen. So I climbed on it and rode around a while, and Renee came out with her uh, camera like she always does, and I said, baby, crawl on the back here, and I'm going to ride you around, and everybody's eyes got about that big around. And I think immediately the whole family started praying, God, don't let him kill her. God, don't let him kill her. So she gets on the back of the four-wheeler with me, and they've got trails carved out through the woods there. So there was about six of us in line, and I was the third one. It was so funny because there were two in the front and two in the back in case I got stuck, they said. And so we get to this part of the trail uh, that's got mud everywhere, and if you're not a redneck when you're on a four-wheeler, you become a redneck when you're on a four-wheeler in a mud pit. Amen. What they forgot is that Re Renee is on the back. Let me just stop a minute and say, if you don't know my wife well, you know this. Uh, Miss Renee and Mud don't go in the same sentence together. I mean, my wife's idea of roughing it is a Marriott when the cable goes out. Amen. So uh, uh, the boys in front of us, the young boys are going through the mud. Man, they're splattering it everywhere. Folks are covered head to toe in mud. Uh, I get up to it, and her nephew, who is this great big 300-pound dude, uh, just a big monster of a man, he stops right in the middle, and he looks at every guy and says, if you go through that mud and hit Miss Renee, I'm going to kill you. So what did they do? They went around, and we went right on up the hill. We got up to the top. Nobody was injured. No bones were broken. Everybody climbed off, two arms, two legs. And I think my father-in-law looked heaven and said, Thank you, God, for answered prayer. Amen. <laughs> Job chapter 3 this morning. Job chapter 3. I want to begin by, this morning by reading to you verses 1, 2, and 3. And we'll read a few other verses this morning. Job is so often referred to as a book about patience. That's a misnomer, church. Job's not really a book about patience. I've shared with you that I grew up all of my life hearing preachers say that it was a sin to question God. I grew up all of my life hearing preachers talk about how it was wrong and it was a sin to question God. I remember as a young man who had rededicated my life to Christ and was reading through the Gospel of John and looked at the seven sayings of Christ on the cross, one of which was, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it suddenly dawned on me that if Jesus is the Son of God, and he is, amen, that if Jesus was sinlessly perfect, and he was, amen, and if Jesus is saying why while he's on the cross, then somehow something is not right. Because if Jesus is perfect and he said why, how then can it be wrong or a sin for us to also look up heavenward and say, God, why? I do believe that when we cross that line of saying, Jesus, this isn't right, or God, uh, this shouldn't have happened, or God, this isn't fair, uh, that steps across the line. But if I'm reading my Bible right, there's no sin, shame, or sorrow uh, when we're hurting to look heavenward and say, God, I don't understand this. Why is this happening? And in fact, I'm a firm believer that rather than a book of patience, Job uh, is a book that helps us understand that sometimes hurting people need help. 
Hurting people need help. I want you to go with me, if you would, please, to verse number 1. After this cursed, after this opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. Again, I grew up in church all of my life. I don't think I ever heard a preacher talk about that. I don't think I ever heard a preacher say that Job got upset, that Job got angry, that God, that Job didn't understand what he was doing and what was going on. And in fact, verse 3 says, at this moment, when things have absolutely fallen apart in Job's life, he gets to the point where he looks heavenward and he curses the day. That means he says to God, I don't understand this. Look at verse 2. Job spake and said, let the day perish. Wherein I was born. Job is hurting so badly. That he says I wish I had never been born. And the night in which it was said. There is a man child conceived. Please go over with me to verse 23. Notice what Job says. Why is light given to a man? Whose way is hid and whom God hath hedged in. Let's be honest, church. Life is full of why questions. 2020 has certainly become a year where many of us have wondered why is everything happening this year? Why are things happening the way that they're happening? Uh, we can look back uh, over the course of our life, and there are times when every one of us uh, have to look heavenward and say, God, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand this. I can't figure this out in my head. Help me understand, God, why this is happening. In the midst of his trials, that was Job's question. To me, Job is not a book about patience. Job is a book that answers the question, why does God let this happen? I'm not sure, candidly, that any of us can ever adequately address everyone's why question. But you hear me. Job reminds us that as God's children, we can either help or we can harm Hurting people. I am convinced more than ever that in spite of the societal advances that we've experienced, in spite of the comforts of life that we have, in spite of everything that we've been blessed with, us, more people are hurting today than ever before in American history. I'm convinced that the situations, the circumstances, the problems that we face have caused more people to be hurt in American society than ever before. And I hope you'll amen me this morning. Hurting people don't need hypercritical Christians chastising them. Hurting people uh, don't need holier-than-thou believers uh, somehow looking down their noses at them, uh, thinking that their pain is not real. Listen, folks. As God's people, we have a responsibility to help hurting believers. So I'm going to give you a message this morning that I'm entitling Help for Hurting People. Help for Hurting People. Four things I want you to note with me this morning. Number one, Job's tragedies. You can go read verse number one, chapter number one, and you know it. You've been in church all of your life, probably. You know the situation. You know what happened to Job. Job loses everything. He loses his family. He loses his fortune. He loses his fitness. He loses his friends. He loses everything that he held dear. Chapter number one opens. With Job having everything, and it closes in chapter number 1 with Job losing everything, including his own health. It's amazing how just a few simple days changes everything in Job's life. 
How many of us here this morning understand that it takes one phone call, uh, that it takes one situation, uh, that it takes one circumstance, uh, that it takes one day, uh, sometimes one hour, uh, one minute uh, to change everything in our life uh, and what seemed to be cloud nine suddenly becomes the pits of despair. That's the reality for all of us, folks. That's the reality for every single one of us. Uh, 2020 has proven that. Uh, I'll remind you uh, that Job 14 reminds us that man is but a few days old uh, and full of trouble. Uh, John 16, uh, verse 33, Jesus says that in the world uh, we will have tribulations. Please don't give in to this idea that if you love God enough or you serve Him faithfully enough, you'll never have problems. In fact, I'm a... I'm of the mindset that the more you love him, the bigger the bullseye gets on you. The more you try to serve him, the larger the bullseye gets. We will never get to the place where we are immune from troubles in this world. New levels, new devils. The more you serve him, the more the enemy wants to knock you down. But this is what I've learned, church. Boy, I hope you'll listen to me. Every single one of us, I hope you'll hear me. The troubles... The painful moments, the difficult days will do one of two things. They'll either drive us away from God or they'll drive us to God. These difficult days, these circumstances, uh, these painful experiences uh, will either drive us away from God or they'll drive us to God. Some people react to the whys of their life with anger. There are those who become upset because God seemingly did not stop their why moment from happening. Job's wife gets all kinds of flack. She's one of these people. Job's wife is one of these people who becomes angry because of her why moment. She looks over at Job and says, look at everything you're experiencing. Why don't you just curse God and die? Boy, I've heard preaching all of my life about Job's wife and how bad she was and how she lost faith. Can I just pause a moment and remind all of us that Job's wife lost her children, that Job's wife lost her home, that Job's wife lost her finances, and now Job's wife is sitting there looking at her husband suffer, looking at him physically deteriorating. I think her question is one of sympathy, not chastisement. I give you that this morning. Because when we meet people who are experiencing these why moments, listen, it is so important that we care, not condemn. God deliver us uh, from hypercritical Christians uh, who only condemn when people are searching for care. There are people today, when they go through these why moments, they run from God. Paul reminds the Galatian church that it's not the time for us to chastise, but the time for those which are spiritual to lend a hand and lift them back, to help them, to sustain them. God, help us to care, not criticize. But then there are those people for whom their why moments, it doesn't cause them to run from God. But it drives them into the arms of God. You see, church, when we begin to get a hold of the fact that God is able to turn our tests into our testimonies, it changes us. When we understand, when we recognize that our troubles can break us, but they can also make us, that Romans 8, 28 is still in the book, that we have not to fear or worry that he's been taken by surprise. We understand that the troubles, the why moments, the difficulties can run us straight into the arms of God. You see, folks, Job's tragedies were real. Why do I say that? If you haven't experienced one recently, hold on, your time's coming. If you haven't buried a loved one recently, hold on, your time's coming. 
If you hadn't listened to somebody on the other end of the phone crying, hold on, your time is coming. If you haven't experienced physical health issues, if you haven't gone through any troubles or tribulations, hold on, your time's coming. And when it happens, I encourage you this morning, don't let the enemy take your troubles and help you run from God. Let the Lord wrap you in his arms and cause those troubles to run you into the arms of Jesus. Job's tragedies. Secondly, this morning, I want you to note with me Job's temptations. Job's temptations. If you've read the book of Job, there's a couple of things that I think really stand out. Number one, it's not long before you note that Job is written in a way that's a little bit different from most of the other Bible books. Job is one of the books of poetry. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, the five books in the Bible uh, that were poetic books. Uh, And so each of the verses of Job uh, are what we call couplets, two thoughts that are put together, uh, separated by some form of punctuation. Uh, And so it is a couplet, if you will. In the original Hebrew, it would have rhymed. uh, Translated into English, it does not. uh, But it's a very difficult book to read through uh, because sometimes books of poetry can be challenging. The second thing that you note about Job is that when he's at his lowest, when he's at his weakest, there are some friends who come along that remind us uh, that with friends like this, uh, we sure don't need enemies. What do you mean, preacher? I want you to go with me quickly, if you would, please, to Job chapter number 2. Look at verse number 11. Job chapter number 2, verse number 11. The Bible says, Now when Job's three friends heard all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place. Eliphaz, the Timonite, Bildad, the Shuhite, Zophar, the Namathite. uh, For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him. And look at this last clause. And to comfort him. In his weakest moments, when Job had lost his family, when Job had lost his fortune, when Job had lost his own fitness, his own health was gone. Here comes three friends and eventually a fourth one who were there to try to cheer him up and make him feel oh so much better. But then you start reading what these friends had to say and you begin to realize, and boy, I hope you'll amen me, that sometimes the best thing you can say is I love you and then keep that old trap shut. Why? Let's quickly... Go through what these friends had to say. The first one is Eliphaz. Eliphaz. Go over to chapter 4 if you would please. We're going to read just a few verses. Go over to chapter 4. This conversation between Job and Eliphaz starts out really solid. For in verse number 3 of chapter 4, Eliphaz says, Behold, Thou hast instructed many. Thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have upholded him that was fallen. And thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. Eliphaz starts out flattering Job. Telling him what a good man he is. Telling him that he's helped so many people. But it's not long before his tone changes. Look at verse 5. But now it has come upon thee. And thou faintest. It toucheth thee. And thou art troubled. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of thy ways? Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, or who were, where were the righteous cut off? In other words, Eliphaz, this man of experience, starts out by flattering Job, but then he starts to flog him. He starts to tell him that everything that's happening to him is Job's fault. Eliphaz is the type of person 
Some of you are going to smile when I say it because your, your mind will quickly put a face to an image. He's the kind of person who's been there, done that, and no matter what you've been through, he's got it worse. No matter what you face, he's facing it worse. No matter what trial you've got, they've got it worse. And sometimes, now, this ain't going to be spiritual. You might have to pause the video for a second, Brother Coffee. Every once in a while, when you're talking to somebody, like that. Uh, you just want to get in the flesh uh, and say, thank you for your advice. Now, would you please shut up? I know that's not appropriate. My mother used to call shut up the S word. Bless her heart. She didn't really know what the S word was, you heathen. You know where I'm going. In this moment, Eliphaz, this man who always had the answers, is trying to tell Job that what he's facing is his own fault. Would you listen to me? With friends like that, you don't need enemies. God help us as Christians that when somebody's hurting, let's not be critical. And if Eliphaz wasn't bad enough, here comes friend number two, Bildad. Go over to chapter 8 if you would, please. Look at Job chapter 8. Verse number 1 says, Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, How long wilt thou speak these things? How long shall the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? Are you listening to this? He's calling Job a windbag. The man's lost his home. He's lost his family. He's lost his finances. He's lost his own physical fitness. And Bildad says, Job, would you just stop complaining? I read that and my mind boggles. It's a reminder to me, folks, that until you've walked a mile in somebody's shoes, the best thing you can do is keep that mouth shut. Best thing we can do is love somebody and give somebody an open arm. But the moment we start attacking, everything begins to shut down. For the sake of time, we won't read the rest of it, but I want you to go to verse 6 quickly of chapter 8. This is what blows my mind. Bildad, the friend, says, If thou wert pure and upright... Surely now he would awake for thee. First of all, he's saying God's asleep. Can I remind you, he never slumbers or sleep. Uh, it hasn't taken him by surprise. Uh, but what Bildad is saying uh, is that you got this because you've done something wrong. This is your fault. Verse 6 goes on to say, Thou wert pure and upright. Surely now he would awake for thee uh, and make the habitation of thy righteous uh, prospereth. Basically, Bildad says, uh, you're experiencing this because you got what's coming to you. Let's be honest, folks. Uh, if we all got what was coming to us, uh, we'd all be miserable people. Uh, but thank God that's not how God's economy works. Uh, he doesn't operate that way. God's a God of grace, love, and mercy. Yes, He's a God of judgment. Uh, but thank God uh, He doesn't give us what we deserve. Uh, he gives us what we don't deserve. There's Eliphaz. There's Bildad. And then you go to friend number three, Zophar. For the sake of time, we won't read it. You can go home and read it in Job chapter number 11. But he looks at the situation. He looks at everything that Job has experienced, and he scratches his head and says, Hmm, I reckon you need to get right with God. I reckon you need to repent of your sins. Now, don't be surprised, folks. There's an awful lot of fundamental independent Baptists who think the same way. And whether we like to say it or not, sometimes we act that way. You hear me, folks. Because someone is experiencing great tragedy, great difficulty, let's not turn our noses up in spiritual indignation. Let's not think that somehow they've got it worse or better. Understand, folks, that when they're hurting, they don't need criticism. They need care. And it's our job to do it. Finally, there's Elihu. 
You can read about him in Job 17. Go home and read it. But what astounds me is that it takes this joker. And I say that term respectfully. It takes this joker five whole chapters. Say, Job, God is good. Job, God's great. Job, God's good. For five chapters, he goes on and on and on and never says anything. Now look up here at me. Don't point fingers. Don't look at your spouse. Look up here at me. You ever meet people? Who go on and on and on, and when they're said and done, you walk away thinking, What the heck did they just say? I mean, they've waxed eloquently for 10, 15, 20 minutes, they walk away, and you got absolutely nothing out of anything they said. There's an awful lot of church people like that. I ain't being unkind, I'm being real. Mama used to say all the time, and some of you have heard it uh, all of your life, uh, if you can't say something good, then don't say nothing at all. Keep your mouth shut. That's a lesson that we as adults probably need to learn. God deliver us from believers uh, who know everything. Amen. God deliver us from believers uh, who think they've got all the answers. God deliver us from believers uh, who think uh, they know better what you need to do. Uh, you know what Jesus says about that? Uh, why are you criticizing somebody that's got a splinter in her eye when you've got a big old beam sticking out your own eye? Well, that's the Stanley Town translation of it. Amen. Number one this morning, Job's tragedies. Number two, Job's temptations. Number three this morning, I want you to notice with me, Job's testimony. I want you to see how Job handled this situation. If there's a lesson for us as believers this morning, it is in the character of, of Job. Don't misunderstand me. Job had some weak moments. You read the book of Job and you'll quickly find uh, that his friends didn't help him. In fact, they made things worse. Shock, surprise. Uh, you'll understand uh, that Job is more depressed when they got, after they get there than he was before they arrived. Look at Job chapter 1 if you would please. I want you to notice what Job does in the face of the greatest challenge of his life. Verse number 20 says, Then Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head. Those are Jewish signs uh, of mourning. Uh, notice what it says following. And fell down upon the ground. And note the next two words, church. And worshipped. In the midst of his greatest challenge, in the midst of great, undescribable pain and despair. Job says, i got to get to God. Job worships God through his pain. Let me say to everybody this morning, that when you find yourself, when we find ourselves asking why, the most important thing we can do is hurry up and get to God. When we find ourselves in spiritual anguish, in physical pain, the most important thing we can do is run to God. Job's testimony. He worshipped. Not only did he worship, I want you to notice his words found in the next verse. An astounding statement of faith. Job said in verse 21, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave. The Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's some of the maturest thinking you can find in all of Scripture. You hear me this morning, folks. We love it when the Lord gives. Most of us ain't too happy when the Lord takes away. 
But would you hear me? The game, the same God that loves you when He gave is the same God that loves you when He takes it away. And I hope you'll amen me. God should not have to please us to get us to serve Him. In that moment, when Job is at his weakest, when Job is in his most pain, he worships God and said, God, you gave it. God, you took it away. But God, you're still good. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Number one, Job's tragedies. Number two, his temptations. Number three, his testimony. Finally, number four, Job's triumph. I invite you, please, to chapter 13. We're nearly done. Turn to chapter 13 of Job. Look at verse number 15. The chapters in between, again, that I've already alluded to are the conversations that he has with each of these four friends. None of which does anything to help him. Each of which just makes him feel worse after they've allayed blame, after they've criticized him, after they've chastised him. He ends up feeling worse. Have you ever been around people, again, don't point fingers, sometimes it's even Christians, who they come around and you think, oh God, deliver me because I know this ain't going to be good for me. Yeah, man. The rest of you who aren't raising your hands, you know you're lying. You know there are people you get around and they just depress the fool out of everybody. Look, if you would, please, at verse 15. Job has an incredible realization. He says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. This is Job's response to his hypercritical friends. This is Job's answer to Eliphaz and Bildad and Elihu and Zophar who were there criticizing and saying, this is your fault. you got to repent. God's asleep or he wouldn't let this happen to you. Job looks at every one of them and says, hey, even if God kills me, I'm going to put my trust in him. You hear me this morning. I believe in this moment, Job realizes that this thing he's facing is not because of his sins. It's not because of his failures. All of this is happening because something bigger than Job is happening. This is all being done so that God will give some glory. What happens next is astonishing. For his realization becomes his restoration. You don't have to turn because you know what happens. But in the back of the book of Job chapter 4, let's go ahead quickly. We got time. I'm almost done. You ain't got no place else to go right now. Turn to Job 42. Verse 10. Look at verse 10, please. Job 42, last chapter. Verse 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. I have to tell you, I've read this book dozens, if not a hundred times, and there's a phrase in here that jumped out at me like I had never seen before. Look, if you would, please, again, verse 10. The Lord turned the captivity of Job. In other words, God decides to turn everything around when and why? When he prayed for his friends. Are you reading what I'm reading? These are the friends who criticized him. These are the friends who said, this is your fault. These are the friends who were irritating the ever-loving snot out of him. These are the friends who had nothing but negativity to say. And the moment Job started praying for them, God says, all right, we're going to turn this thing around. And what does he do? Verse 10 says, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Can anybody say that God is a God of restoration? Amen? God's a God who restores. He's a God that can give you better than what you've imagined. We might be reflecting on what we've lost, but I submit to you this morning that the God we serve will help you and love you through the pain and will turn that test into your testimony. I read one commentator. 
you got to remember, Job already had a, ten kids. And now the Bible says that he has ten more with the same wife. I read one commentator uh, who said, that'll teach her to get mad at God. Amen. Twenty pregnancies. Amen. <laughs> but in this moment, if you look at the names of the three daughters, you don't have to turn. I'll give them to you quickly. Their names mean daylight, fragrance, and glowing. In other words, Job realizes that his night has turned into day. He recognizes that his sorrow has been replaced with the sweet smell of grace. And he understands that the moment he turned and faced God and began to pray for his friends, that the glowing love of a heavenly Father was placed upon him. And in that moment, Job realized that this thing was bigger than him. I believe, I'm done, you can close your Bibles. I believe what Job did is dig a well. That in the midst of his greatest tragedy, Job digs a well because he knows that somewhere, somehow, somebody's going to need a little dip of the grace that God gave him. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody's looking. I want to ask you a simple question today. Nobody's looking. If you're here today, you would be honest and say, Pastor Greg, we're experiencing me, my family, somebody that I love dearly. We're going through one of those why moments. And things don't just seem to make sense. Pray for us this morning. Can I see those hands? I'm seeing a whole bunch go out all over the parking lot. Amen. I appreciate your honesty this morning. I'm going to pray a prayer this day, and I'm going to ask you to join in and pray with me for those that raise their hands, uh, that we would be the kind of Christians uh, who don't criticize, but who care. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for the reminder today that the wise situations of our life cause us all kinds of pain and anguish. Yet that's all the opportunity for us uh, to dig a well uh, because somebody else is going to come along and drink from the grace that you pour into our lives. Help us to be the kind of believer uh, that doesn't criticize, uh, but the kind of believer who cares. In Jesus' name. Brother Ken, sing us a verse this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Uh, let's sing together. seated for just a moment to ushers if you'd come forward i'll remind everybody that today's the first sunday of october that means it's mission sunday here at the church and we are so grateful for that even in the midst of the pandemic uh, we've been able to continue to support every single one of our missionaries at 100 percent all 70 plus of them it's because of your continued generosity so please help us out with that today if you would father thank you lord for the good service you gave us today for the opportunity to worship you and be reminded about your good grace in our life Lord, bless this offering. Bless our missionaries. Thank you for the faithfulness here of the folks to give so generously. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Take off, fellas.